Lord, we want you. We want to honor you, but not as much as you want us. And you love us. God, I'm so, I'm so free when I think about how you love me. And, and this portion of scripture, scripture that we have before us today, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would use it as a knife to cut deeply into our hearts and free us from any thought that we need to hold anything back from you, but we can fully jump into all that you are. We can, we can believe in everything you have said, Jesus. Forgive us and fill us with your spirit. In your name we pray, amen. Today's Bible study is called The Glorious Fellowship. The Glorious Fellowship. Fellowship, that word, is a kind of a church word that we toss around and, and sometimes we don't understand what it means, but it means to share things in common, to be like-minded or to be connected in the heart and in the soul, to be together in the most intimate and powerful sense of the word. So we're going to start with a question. Do you want that with God? Oh, didn't even expect such powerful answers, but you're like, yeah, I know what I'm here for. Well, today, it's good news for you. We are going to see how to have real fellowship with God, real connectedness, real intimacy. All right, and we're going to see it. So I'm going to read first our, our scripture here is Genesis 22, 1 through 14, and then we'll kind of get into what the Lord has for us today. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son, on Isaac, his son. And he went and took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together, and they came to the place of which God had told him. But Abraham and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said to him, Here, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad, nor do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it for a burnt offering instead of his son. 
And Abraham called the name of the place, The Lord Will Provide, as it has said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. How did we get to this point? Well, first I want to say Happy Father's Day. I hope you all got your giant sticks of meat. Because I like doing that on Father's Day, eating meat. All right. Well, we have a father here, Father Abraham. You guys remember singing the song growing up? Father Abraham had many sons. All right. Well, (laughs) now you got it in your head, and it's never going away. How did we get to this point? How did Abraham grow to trust God so much? Such a deep connection with God. We need to remember all that Abraham has been through and all of the training that God has faithfully worked in Abraham's heart. So on your little page, your Anchor Deep page, I printed out for you the seven levels of fellowship that Abraham experienced with God up until this point, how God had been training him. And if you don't have it or if you, uh, well, I'm going to explain it to you anyway. So here we go. The first time God revealed himself to Abraham and the first fellowship that God had, thank you, with Abraham was in the Ur, in the land of the Ur of the Chaldees. And there he said, follow me and I'll go to a land that I'll show you. And see, fellowship with God, this connection with God begins by recognizing that he's not like the world. He's different. You need to come out of the world to get to know him. We're in the world, but we're, we're separated from him by sin. And so there's this separation that happens between God and man. And the world that's out there in our city in Denver, there's all these people that are separated from God. And they don't have that fellowship, that, that unity that they maybe are longing for, that they are longing for in their heart with God. And they might be seeking it through metaphysical things or through religions or different things. They might be seeking it. But he says it starts by saying we're not of the world. Jesus said, love not the world or the things in the world. John actually said that. And we're told to come apart and be separated by God. Follow me and not the world, Jesus would say. So fellowship begins with that simple piece of separation. And then the second thing that God came to Abraham and and shared in his life was at Shechem, where Abraham built an altar And he worshipped God. It was the first time he had built an altar or worshipped God in the promised land. And this speaks and tells us about the fellowship of the method of God or the fellowship of sacrifice. This method that God has established for having a relationship with us was based on sacrifice. And we, we looked in depth at that. How Abraham killed a lamb. That study was called Fluffy the Lamb, if you remember And sinful man can only come to God and have that connection when there has been a sufficient sacrifice to cleanse them of their sins. So this is when we can come in, is when that sacrifice has been made. The third place was at Bethel, where Lot left Abraham for a better situation. And this is the fellowship of patience. Patience with God. Abraham would have to let some relationships go in order to follow and honor God to the fullest. He would have to be patient to see those people who he loved dearly become restored. And sometimes he even had to let them go their own way. And he had to be patient and trust the Lord and pray for them 
and intercede for them, which we saw Abraham did, right? He interceded for his nephew Lot as Sodom and Gomorrah was about to be destroyed. He's learning that God is all he has and that God is all he needs. So you're seeing his fellowship with God is getting deeper and deeper and deeper. The fourth way is after the defeat of the five uh, kings, he paid tithes to Melchizedek and he refused the reward offered by the king of Sodom. And God came to him and said, I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. This is where Abraham really goes all in with God. He says, the world has nothing that I even want. I only want you. He's like fully in. Now notice God was with him before that. God didn't demand that God brought him to the place where he could go fully in. So if you're thinking of your life, man, there's things that I still haven't, I'm still struggling to trust God in. Just know that that does not affect his commitment to you right now. He'll get you there. We're going to learn today. We're going to see today. Abraham gets there. But it's okay. God loves you. So be patient. After the defeat, uh, okay, so he goes all in with God, and then God returns that trust that he is giving to him with a promise. And that promise is that he's going to have a son in this land. He's going to have a son in this land. And they signed a contract at that point that God would provide all of this for Abraham, and Abraham, all he had to do was believe it. Just believe it. Then God gave Abraham a revelation of the suffering that his family would have to endure during the 400 years in Egypt, but that in the end, God would rescue them. And so now there's a fellowship of hope. A fellowship of hope is the fourth one, where Abraham could know that no matter what he goes through, he has hope that he can hold on to. And no matter what his family is going to go through, he has this hope. Then when Abraham was 99, God changes his name and reveals himself as El Shaddai which means God all-sufficient. God gave him the right of circumcision at that point, and we see here the fellowship of holiness. Because what makes you holy? Your sufficiency or God's? Boom, God's sufficiency. That's it. It's not how hard we try. It's not how good you are at being a Christian. It's God's sufficiency that will create the holiness inside you. And so holiness comes from God's sufficiency, not ours. Then the sixth is in the plain of Mamre, where the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah happened. And this is where Abraham experienced the fellowship of God's justice. Deeper level saying, God will judge. And God's right to do that. And he's able to do that. And he's going to do it the right way at the right time. And it helps me to connect with him. It helps me to fellowship with him. And now, today, we get to number seven. It's funny how things work in sevens in the Bible, doesn't it? The seventh level of fellowship, the deep level. Maybe this is the level that we're kind of afraid of, the fellowship of suffering, the fellowship of suffering. In our text, it says, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. When I was about 12, my stepdad uh, wanted to buy a new four-wheel drive vehicle. We lived up by Saint, in St. Mary's Glacier, up in the National Forest up there. It snowed like 80 feet during the winter, and so we needed to get to our house in the winter. It was like a trailer log cabin thing. Long story. Anyway, raised by wolves, right? <laughs> um, 
long story. So we had to buy this vehicle, and so we went out to Medved Hummer out there on I-70, and we took some Hummers for a test drive, which was really cool, because what we would do is they had this whole uh, obstacle course set up for the Hummers that was like crazy with like mud and rocks and hills, and the guy who was doing the test drive, he's like, hop in, I'll show you what this thing can do, and he would, he would go, and there's this mountain of rocks, and he'd go right over it, and there was this giant mud puddles and he'd go through it and he'd adjust the air pressure and it was crazy the things and you were you'd think I was thinking in my mind this is nuts to put this truck through such hard rigors when I haven't even we haven't even bought it yet and it performed very well it, it did a great job and I think that he probably knew that it was going to perform well in fact he designed the test he designed the test that he was going to put his beloved Hummer through. We didn't end up buying a Hummer. We bought Matt tracks for an 81 Bronco, which is even more manly. They're like tank tracks for each wheel. It was awesome. And I used to take that out. I used to drive that thing out in the snow, and it would go over drifts that were like 40 feet deep because it could just go right over the top of them. And I would show off to people, look at this awesome tank kind of car that I have, which is my dad's, but I was like bragging, you know, because I was so proud of it. And this is what God is doing with Abraham right now. He knows the six levels that he has taken Abraham through. And he's so excited to show everyone in the world that the seventh level is going to be no problem for his son. He's so proud of his child. In Philippians 1.6, it says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. This is what God is doing in your life. This story is, is about Abraham, but it's also about you. He's been doing an invisible work in our hearts, just like Abraham. So when the trial comes, when the test arrives, when the unexpected disaster happens in your life, Many times, it is so that we can show the world the faith and the trust that God has been developing in our hearts over the years. Why did bad things happen to good people? So that you could show trust in God. So you could show the world that God is worth it. I've counted up the cost, and you are worth it, right? The best test always involves the most dreadful challenges. If they would have taken me in that Hummer and took me in this parking lot and said, look how it performs in this nice, smooth parking lot, I would have laughed them to scorn. I would say, get out of here. That's no test. That doesn't prove anything. No, because the best ones, you know, any company looking to make any product will test it beyond anything the consumer will put that item through. And if it holds up, they have a good product. And God is going to prove Abraham's faith beyond any doubt. So, he has to use the thing that is going to hurt Abraham's heart the most deeply to surrender. He has to. He has to. His son, Isaac. It's amazing that this just happened to be the text that we're on in Father's Day. Right? This is such a God thing. You'll be crying by the end, don't worry. You might ask, 
Why do I seem to be asked to sacrifice what's most dear to me? Have you guys ever thought that with God? God, their life is so easy. Why do you ask me to sacrifice that one, the only thing I really care about? I'm not into drugs, and I'm not into this, I'm not into money, but there's this one thing that I love so dearly. Why is that the thing you come after? And it's so that you can know that God is more dear to you than that thing or that relationship. He will take each one of us there. Sorry if you didn't know. It is going to happen in your life if it hasn't already. Know that it's coming. He will not be second in your heart. He will not live at peace where there is another lover in your heart. He won't do it. He is at war for our hearts. He wants to prove that the fellowship is real. And that's why this is called the glorious fellowship. Because he is after depth with you. A real connection. And it only happens with total surrender. Abraham said, and God said to Abraham, Abraham. And he said, I'm here. And then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will show you. There's no problem hearing the Lord. Abraham didn't have a problem knowing that this was God talking to him. He knew God through experience of fellowship. So when God speaks, he's ready to hear and ready to answer. He says, here I am. Right away, when he hears God's voice, because he's been trained to hear God's voice. Here I am. I'm ready to do what you want. Here I am. He's ready to hear, ready to answer. I'm ready to hear your words. I'm ready. That's where Abraham's at right now. He's ready. But what he hears is shocking to him. He says, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to that land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering. The time has come. For what? For God to give us, you and me, the best illustration, picture, and prophecy in the whole Bible of Jesus Christ. That's what we get today. And you might be like, whoa, I didn't know we were talking about Jesus. I thought we were talking about Abraham, Isaac, and an offering. This is really all about Jesus. This is the thing that Abraham is going to be known for. When you talk to everyone out there in the world about who Abraham is, what's the first thing they'll talk about? Oh, God told him to sacrifice his son, right? And I know people that will even come to you and say, that's why I hate God, because God is so maniacal that he just demands people sacrifice their children. And they completely miss the entire point. This is why Abraham was born. This is why he's alive. God has to wait until Abraham was ready. God's waited 140 years for Abraham to be ready. Do you sometimes feel like God is never going to do anything wonderful in your life? Or that you'll never do anything wonderful for the Lord? Just wait. Follow him and wait. Don't rush it. Because it will probably be as difficult as death when it does come. It's going to be tough. 
when he asks you, when the big thing happens in your life. But we learn so much from this one little verse about a life of surrender and an act of surrender. So let's, let's dive into this one verse and see what God can show us about this. Check it out. It says, it's going to happen in one of the mountains that I shall tell you. That's what God says. That means God is going to be with you. He says, I am going with you. And when you get there, I'm going to give you more information. I'm going to tell you a mountain. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to sake you. I'm going to be with you, even though this is going to be rough. This is going to be tough. You need to know I'm going to be with you. That's the character of God during a trial that we need to remember. That no matter how hard it is, and it will be hard, that God is with you and he'll give you what you need at the time when you need it. That's his character. Number two, it says your son. You're going to need to sacrifice your son. The one who came from you. Your very life and heart has been poured into him. He proceeds from your own body. He's your hope in the future of your family. Your son. And then he says, your only son, Isaac. Only son? Well, if you've been studying with us, you know that Abraham has another son, Ishmael. What about Ishmael? Well, God, he he doesn't recognize Ishmael as being a legitimate son, a legitimate offspring, because Ishmael was a work of the flesh. Ishmael, Ishmael was a result of, God, of Abraham's fleshly efforts to try to fix his situation, to try to have offspring in his own efforts. This is all about promises. This is all, all this story, everything we've been learning is about promises. Remember, God promised Abraham, you will have a son through Sarah. And Abraham's like, well, maybe Hagar. And God's like, no, you didn't believe the promise. That doesn't count. It has to be by promise. I promise you it's going to happen through Sarah. So it's going to happen through Sarah. God has promised Abraham Isaac, and he fulfilled that promise. He promised that Isaac would have children, that, that he would be the heir. Now Isaac right now does not have children. And now he gives a command that seems to contradict the promise. But that's when we need to trust the promiser that he will be faithful. We're going to get into that in just a minute. The fourth thing we see in this one verse about the character of of surrender is, he says, whom you love. Uh, Your son, Isaac, your only son, whom you love. Abraham, you do love Isaac. And the love Abraham had for Isaac was not wrong. It was perfect. The, the love of a father for a son. Abraham loved his son. It was deep. It was the fruit of God's faithfulness in Abraham's life. Every time he saw Isaac, he's just like, oh, my heart overflows with what God has done for me. So why would God be asking Abraham to sacrifice it? Why didn't he say sacrifice Ishmael? If anyone loved their son in the whole world, it was Abraham loving Isaac. He did. He loved his son more than anyone in the world. Now, this is amazing. 
because our story begins to unfold the depths of the gospel of Jesus Christ for us. And when people are out there and that you have an opportunity to talk about this story, you as all have the responsibility to tell everybody that this is about Jesus. This is about Jesus. Because you think the story is about Abraham sacrificing his son, but it's not. It's a shadow. It's a foreshadow. A shadow of something that was going to come afterwards. It's about a different father and a different son. And God is teaching us all what he was going to go through with Jesus. So let's look at those, those four little lessons that we learned about sacrifice from the eyes of the father of Jesus. Real quick. The son. There's a reason why God said, take your son. Because God was going to take his son. The one who came from him. The, the one who was the perfect representation of him. His only son, Jesus. His only son. In John 1, verse 14 and verse 18, I'm going to read a few verses right now to kind of connect some stuff for us. In John chapter 1, he says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He was the only begotten. He's the only son. And then verse 18, and No one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. God says, he's my only son, my only representation, the only one who can declare what I feel about you is Jesus. He's the only one. In John 3, 16, God loved the world and gave his only son. He gave him freely so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then two verses later in verse 18, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son. There's a reason God told Abraham, take your only son. It's a very important detail. It's a foreshadow that is telling us what this is all about. The only son. The only son. And then in Hebrews verse, chapter 11, verse 17, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. The same exact words the author of Hebrews uses for Abraham as for God. The only begotten son. And then he says, whom you love. Take this from the perspective of the father. John 3.35 The father loves the son. And has given all things into his hand. The Father loves the Son. We're here on Father's Day. And I'm sure many of you are thinking of the love of your Father. Now imagine again the love that the Father of Heaven has for the Son of Heaven. It's immeasurable. And he says, offer him up as a burnt offering. This means that Abraham was to kill the sacrifice and then burn the body. This speaks of a complete sacrifice, holding nothing back. Not kill him and keep a memorial, put it in a casket, save it for later. It's a complete sacrifice. And he says, do it on a mountain in Moriah. Moriah. This is 
where the present-day city of Jerusalem is. The city of Jerusalem. Before the city ever existed, when it was just a hill far away. 1,000 years after this date, Solomon would dedicate the temple where sacrifices would be made on this exact same spot, the hill of Moriah, Mount Zion in Moriah. And on that hill, for a thousand years, they would sacrifice sheep after sheep and ram and lamb after lamb, and they would kill these, looking forward to God's ultimate lamb. And it's crazy because a thousand years after Solomon dedicated his temple, the Lamb of God was slain on this hill, on this same spot where Isaac was sacrificed, where the temple was built, and then Jesus, right in front of the rock of Golgotha, was killed, slain and sacrificed for us. Look, verse 3, So Abraham rose early in the morning, and he saddled his donkey, and he took two young men with him, Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burned offering and arose and went to a place which God had told him. In Abraham's heart, I want you to know that this is the crucifixion. This is the crucifixion. Not what they're going to do three days later. This is the crucifixion. This is the death of his son when he got up in the morning and he said, Okay. I'll do it. He's already decided to trust God and, with, and to do what God has said. And with each axe stroke on the firewood, his commitment to follow Jesus strengthened. Because he had to cut the wood and he did it himself. He didn't make someone else do it for him. He couldn't make someone else do it for him. This was his job. This is what he had to do. And with each stroke, the enemy would come to him and say, you can't sacrifice your son. Who will be your heir? You could find another way. You could figure this out. God has no right to do this, to demand this of you. He gave you Isaac. This is mean for God to do. How could he be a God of love? And then the next stroke would come. And the Spirit of the Lord in him would fight back and would say, God has promised to make Isaac my heir. And I don't know how this is going to work. But what God, has God ever left me before? Has God ever disappointed me? Has he ever led me astray? Has he not been dependable? I will trust him in this. I will just believe that he will fulfill his promise. He will not fail me now. It's never happened before, but God must be planning on raising Isaac from the dead. He has to. He has to raise Isaac from the dead. And that's the conversation that's going on in Abraham's heart as he's chopping this wood. And he says, and then he arose and went. How could he do that? Because the battle was already won. The battle was won in Abraham's heart. He was going to do what God asked him to do, just like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. While Peter and John are sawing logs, 
Jesus was chopping wood for the sacrifice. He was praying and surrendering his soul up to do the Father's will. And the enemy was coming to him, but his trust and love for God, his Father, was leading him. And Jesus, it says, arose and went. The exact same words. He said, let us go. And he says, it says that he set his face as a flint toward Jerusalem. He would do nothing but the will of his Father. He was committed to do it. To be the sacrifice, the perfect lamb of God. Then we get to verse 4 in our text and it says, Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. On the third day, Abraham is going to receive his son back alive. On the third day, back from the dead. You know, the Bible says that Jesus had to be crucified and rise again on the third day, according to the scriptures. Have you ever sought that out and find out what scripture says that Jesus was going to rise again on the third day? Because if you just look for it, you're not going to find it. And the answer is, this is actually the prophecy. This is the prophecy that Jesus would rise again on the third day. This verse that we just read says, On the third day he lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. It was the third day that Abraham received his son. The father received the son back alive. So good. So good. Then in verse 5, Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I will go, the lad and I will go, and we're going to worship. And we will come back to you. Abraham, full of faith, full of promises, he speaks with confidence to his close friends about what God will do for him. And also what he's going to do for God. Worship him. He's going to worship him. And that's what sacrifice is. Worship. Worship is always the most meaningful when it costs us the most. It's not singing a song. That is not worship. It is laying down your life to the will of the Father. And Jesus doesn't just demand worship. He worshiped God harder than any of us could dream. He worshiped God harder than any of us could ever fathom. You want to know what worship looks like? Watch Jesus surrender his will to the Father in tears of blood. Leave his best friends. Leave his people and allow them to destroy him. That's worship. And Abraham says, I'm going to go worship. I don't care what it costs me. I will worship God. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on his son Isaac. And he took fire in his hand and a knife. And with the two of them, they went together. Together means in agreement. Isaac was about 30 years old. Isaac could have beat up his dad. He could have tripped him and his dad would have been knocked out. Nobody would have known the difference. 
And Abraham, you know, he's just this old guy and Isaac could have got away, but Isaac was an obedient son. Why? Because Jesus was. Isaac is being used to show us the wonderful, glorious submission of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. The father, Abraham, laid the wood on his son Isaac's back. Just like Jesus carried his own cross. The father holds the instruments to kill his own son. Just as God the father chose to bruise the son of his love. No one else could punish Jesus for the sins of the world but his own father. And they went in agreement. God's like, hey, can I punish you for the sins of everyone in the world? And the son said, yes, bring it to me. Wow. They were agreed. Jesus gave his life. The father asked him and collected the payment. He collected the payment. But Isaac spoke to his Abraham's father and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And then he said, look, here's the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself the lamb for the burnt offering. So the two of them again went together. In agreement, that means. I'm the lamb. Isaac would say, I'm the lamb. I don't see another lamb here. So I'm the lamb. Okay, dad. I trust you. Let's do this. That's surrender. It's submission. It's love. It's what Jesus does for the father. Abraham utters the most incredible prophecy spoken, and it's so true that God will provide for himself the lamb. Isaac, even if I sacrificed you, it would not be sufficient. It would not be enough. God is still going to have to take care of us. In fact, he is going to have to be the sacrifice required for us. Nothing else could pay the price. And he will. God will. Provide. And that is faith. God will. Not I will, or I can, or I wish, but God will. God will. And then it says, they came to the place of which God had told them. This is the place of the skull where Jesus was crucified. And Abraham built an altar there. And he placed the wood in order and he bound his son Isaac on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And I'm sure that it was pouring down rain at this exact moment because heaven was weeping, looking forward to what Jesus was going to be laid on the cross, the wood of the cross. And they saw Abraham lay down his son Isaac on the wood. And everyone in heaven knew that was Jesus. That's how Jesus would be laid down. And he was bound 
just as Jesus was bound by sins, not his own sins, but my sins held him there. His love for me bound him to the altar of sacrifice, the cross. And they would not let him flee. And when the thief looked to him and said, why don't you just get down if you're the son of God? Prove that you're the son of God. And Jesus is like, I am proving that I am the son who is supposed to be sacrificed. And I'm bound here for you. So he was laid upon the wood so that he could be pierced. Abraham raised a sharp knife to slay his son and to put holes in him and to fulfill the picture perfectly to honor God who would do the same to his son 2,000 years later. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here I am. What do you want? And he said, do not lay a hand on your lad or do anything to him, for I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your, your son, your only son from me. And the angel of the Lord, Jesus, who is the angel of the Lord, has been watching this all unfold. And Jesus knows that this is his own path. So he comes down and he stops Abraham. And often there are believers who wonder how they can know the will of God. How can I know what God has for me? But we got to know that 90% of knowing the will of God consists in willingness to do it before it's known. Here I am, God. What do you want now? Just as Abraham did not withhold his only son, neither will God withhold his only son from us. That's what this is all about. Abraham, you pictured me perfectly. Thank you. And I'm going to come through for you. This is the key to surrender, absolute surrender. Don't withhold anything because God gives it all back through Jesus Christ. You can't figure out how it's going to work. But it's all better when you give it up to the Lord. Everything. His death brings us everything. Everything you need, everything you want, it is all ours in Jesus. It's all bound up in Him. Remember, you are a slave to whatever you won't surrender. You are a slave to whatever you won't surrender. And God is going to fight to free you. He's the Martin Luther King of souls. I don't know what you hold on to. You might not even know what you hold on to. Let's give the Holy Spirit some time to search our hearts and show us if there's anything that we need to surrender. Then, let's chop some wood. Crucify 
the flesh with its passions and desires on the cross with Jesus as you take communion in humility and faith. Come truly fellowship with God in the deepest sense of the word. Would you all stand with me? Let's close our eyes and pray. Father, I thank you so much. Words don't even begin to explain what you did for us through this scripture and then what you did for us on the cross. And Father, I pray that you would forgive me for every moment that I'm not meditating upon you and worshiping you. I pray you'd forgive me for holding things back, for thinking that I know a better way, for thinking that God doesn't have a will for me in this area of my life, or God doesn't have a word for me or a plan for me. Forgive me. And Lord, I pray that we would go to the hill and worship. Truly, truly worship. Surrendering all in our lives for you. And Lord, I don't know everyone in here, and I don't know, God, if everyone is saved and if everyone has asked you, Jesus, to forgive them of their sins, but we put that out there right now, that the invitation that if you have never come to know Jesus as your Savior, that you would respond to the Holy Spirit's urging in your heart and say, yes, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross as my substitute, and I I receive it. I believe it. Please fill me with your Spirit. And the answer to everyone who prays that is yes, yes, and amen. It is done. It is done. Your sins are washed away in the blood of my Son. And for all of us in here, every single one of us, we need to chop some wood. And we need to say that it's your kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth in my life just as it's done in heaven.